Hey y'all, this is Unbound Love. Meandering conversation of two pastors. I am Gail. And I am still Kelly. <laughs> it's good that we still know who we are. Yes. <laughs> um, today our topic is disaster. Whoa. And uh, so uh, I, ha- I have right much to say about this, but I want to start us off because I think we're gonna we're we're gonna meander, y'all. Um, and and uh, it's what we do. Um, but I want to start us off when we talk about disaster. When we talk about and and I think that. In this, we really are talking about natural disaster. We're not talking about, you know, personal disaster happens. I mean, we get, anyone could be in a car accident or some other disaster that happens in your life. And there are all kinds of disasters, y'all. So many disasters in life that happen. But in this, today, we're talking about natural disaster. So we're talking about, and, you know, this past weekend, we had um, hurricanes. I mean, sorry, tornadoes. Um, hurricanes are what we deal with. Um, but you know, tornadoes went through um, multiple states, uh, multiple deaths in and deaths in many states, mm-hmm. um, and um, we live in an area where hurricanes are prevalent. There's uh, a lot that goes on with that. Um, my in-laws live in the areas of earthquakes. And, you know, the whole world just starts shaking. And it's something that we've seen here recently in North Carolina. We've had um, earthquakes recently uh, in the area where my mom lives. Um, in, there's been three or four um, over and over and over again um, in the last uh, month or so. And so so a lot of disasters going on. And so um, just to kind of direct our conversation, we're going to talk a little bit about how um, we are screwing up the earth. And Mother Nature is just damn pissed off about it. And um, Mother Nature is going to survive. And if she has to shake our asses until we get better, um, she's going to do that. And so, you know, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about, like, does this come from God? Um, Which is a thing that, you know, you always hear, like, God is punishing us in some way. And maybe Mother Nature is punishing us in some way. And then we're going to talk about, like, what we can do about relief and what we can do to be helpful in this situation. So I'm just kind of laying out where we're meandering to, um, and we'll see how, how well we get there um, along the way. I want us to, as we walk through this, keep in the back of your head the phrase, when you walk the walk, you don't have to talk the talk. Mm. We're going to be talking a lot today, but I think when it comes to everything from how we treat the earth to how we respond to trauma and other people, to you know what we do as a society sometimes people like to talk about what should be done people like to talk and push the jesus story whenever someone's in danger or scared or trauma happens but i think it's more important to walk like a christian than to talk like a christian so let's see where that takes us so i, I want to talk, start with this idea of does god calls the storms and because um, that seems like a good jumping off point for this discussion. And so I want to go back to, and, and uh, it's fuzzy in my memory, I was trying to look it up real quick. Um, but I want to say that it was Hurricane Andrew that hit um, in, um, in Florida. It did hit in Florida, I know that for sure. But um, Pat Robertson, um, which, you know, you, so here's the large grain of salt that we take this with. Um but his comment was that this this huge hurricane was hitting and causing so much damage, 
because, and especially in Florida, because there were so many gay people in Florida, and um, this was God's wrath on the homosexual community that, you know, South Beach, um, South Florida, in the Keys, that this was truly God's wrath on these people, and so... What, what, what else could you expect? That God was just going to rain down on that. And there's a scripture, and I, I want to say it's Isaiah. Again, I'll, I'll look it up here before we before we really get too far in this. That, um, that talks about God creating storms. That God being a part of storms. And I think that that scripture, this Old Testament, this Hebrew Bible scripture, is one that people fall back on. Uh, when they talk about God being a part of the disaster, God being a part of this storm, and that God causes these storms to happen because God's pissed off at us. That's not to say that I don't think God isn't pissed off at us, because I'm pretty sure he is. But I don't think that he's necessarily causing storms because of it. What do you think? It's kind of like that Noah's Ark thing Mm. (laughs) that we go back to. I also saw just recently... Mm they were showing a picture of a church in the middle of Kentucky and they were going, wow, look, God protected the Bibles and the altar. Mm. And I will have to say that made me nauseous <laughs> because we are looking at, at that point, there was a count of 80 deaths. We were looking at total destructions of people's homes. And I'm like, no, God didn't save the Bibles and the altar. That Bible and that altar was not more important than human lives. Mm. So when we approach things like this, we don't want to Pat Roberts in it. We want to approach it with empathy and understanding. So, does God cause a storm that saves a Bible and kills a child? I don't think so. I think that we need to be very careful with our language, especially when we are talking about something that is so traumatizing and causes so much destruction that we need to really be careful with our language. I agree with you, and I think that we need to be careful in our language and and what we think so often, because um, we live in a society, and that may not be the way I want to say that, we live in a time, and maybe it's always been this way, so maybe I'm only seeing it through the lens of now, because now is when I live, but I think that it probably is something that is going on forever, where people look at um, what is happening in the world around them and they attribute it to God in the everything happens for a reason. I hate this phrase. Mm -hmm. I loathe this phrase. Everything happens for a reason. And in that reason, and I'm air quoting that y'all, in that reason, it all gets put back on God. That God is the reason that all of these things happen. And I think we've even mentioned this before, the scripture that says, you know, all things work together for good. For those who love the Lord. Nowhere in there it says that God caused things to happen so that these good things could happen. It's just that all the good that there's good that can come out of any disaster or anything that is going on. That's not to say that God causes these things to happen. I think when we look back at the stories like Noah, um, we think those are primitive times. Those are times where they didn't understand weather patterns. They didn't, they were living in that valley around the water that the water would flood. And they were like, why does this keep happening? And the logical conclusion for them was God's making it happen. But we're advanced at this point. We understand that the world works in patterns, that weather is scientific. 
We may not understand it because it is so complicated and intricate, but we know that it is a pattern that is created by things like atmospheric pressure and um, how we treat the world affects it, but God doesn't use weather to affect us. Although I think he does give us tools and understanding to help us interact with the world. And maybe, just maybe, we should focus on the tools we have to help each other live in this life instead of thinking about how God's going to attack us next. Well, and I think that that part of that too is um, uh, taking care of the environment around us. So um, it may not be God who's causing this particular storm to come after this particular person. I don't believe any of that is true. I do believe that there are things that we do, um, things that we do every day, and things that we have done for generations that we are paying the cost for. And so I'm going to go back to that scripture that says, you know, um, um, the sins of the father Mm -hmm. heaped on the son. Um, I think that we, as children of humanity, um, are indeed paying for some of the sins of the father. And that's not to say it's all just been men. Although, let's, let's just face it, they're a big part <laughs> of this problem. <laughs> they're a big part of that problem. But it, but all of us, you know, like the whole, whole generations in the past who have had this idea that the earth is here for us to use and, the, and we get to just use it up all we want to. Because God provided for us and the earth is supposed to care for us. And so we just get to use it in any way that we want to and it will just be fine. And we are seeing that that is just not true. And I I seriously doubt that we have a whole lot of evangelical listeners. But um, it's very prevalent in the evangelical church and in the evangelical world that this idea that, um, you know, uh, environmentalism, that um, global warming, that climate change, that all of that is just some hocus pocus that liberals are trying to put on them to keep them from making money. And, um, uh, yeah, I got a lot to say about that. That may be a whole episode on that song. That is. is. You hear a lot of times that um, the earth is a gift to us. But it's a gift with a price. Mm. And I think that we recall from the very beginning, if I remember it correctly, that Bible thing that we read, that we were called to take care of the animals and to take care of the earth. That's like, hey, I made this for you. Us take care of it instead of it taking care of us? Exactly. It's a weird concept, I know. (laughs) But what we see is when we don't, it's not great. Like if you had lived in a house and you didn't keep it clean, you're going to have a not nice house. And eventually the bugs are going to come take over. Eventually it's going to fall into disrepair and it's not going to be a home for you. It extends outside of that building that you built. It extends outside of that community you live in. And so I think it is vital that we focus on how we take care, how we're stewards of the earth. And that plays out when you see a disaster hit. Mm-hmm. Every time we see a disaster, we see structures that fall apart. We see people that have not been given proper living situations that are wiped out completely. And so it's in part our stewardship of the earth and in part our stewardship of our connection to other people and mm-hmm. creating safe places where if disaster strikes, 
we have the network, we have the connections that can help all of us through it. Yeah, it's it. It really is our connectivity to the earth and our connectivity to each other. And um, you know, I keep I keep hearing the news stories that say we are we are quickly, very quickly approaching the point of no return. That we are getting to the point where what anything that we can do and and I, I think we even talked about this not too long ago that that a news story came out that said you know the um, we are now to the point where the things that we as individuals do don't have enough of an impact in order to change our course. It's going to take larger corporations. It's going to take larger entities. It's going to take more than just individual people can save, can do, um, to take care of the earth. And so I think that that's an, imp- I mean, to me, that's a scary, scary, scary statement. Um, and what it looks like for future generations, what it looks like uh, going forward for those who will come after us. But I think that it's also, um, again, we don't get into a whole lot of politics, but it's, it's, it has to change the way that you look at how you vote, how you think, um, what you're supporting, and how you are um, working in this world to do things. Uh, and I think that that's important. Let's, let's step from how we prevent disaster to what we do when a disaster strikes. Run like hell! Yes! <laughs> Sometimes we do. <laughs> um, we, we just recently lived through one of the biggest disasters in our area. Hurricane Florence came through and literally turned our community into an island, separated us from everything outside in the world, um, broke down our structures, our grocery stores emptied, which now after the pandemic seems like a normal thing, but back then it wasn't. <laughs> Our road system shut down, so food couldn't get in and out. Gas couldn't get in and out. And as we sat in the middle of it, we realized how people who live week to week and those who live month to month didn't have the resources to get through a few days. And what happened in that space, personally for me, our church is located directly downtown, and we are surrounded by a food desert. We are surrounded by lower income um, populations. And so when I was able to get on the road after the hurricane um, died down and I walked into the church and I turned on the lights, I didn't realize what was going to happen. The light shining from our windows drew people to our church building, to the doors. People, Some people who didn't have housing at the moment because their housings had, housing had been flooded. People who didn't have water. People who didn't have diapers. And all of a the sudden, these wonderful men who live in the house behind our church that are, is a prison ministry. It's where people leave detention centers and come stay in that respite period in between going back into society. They're the ones that showed up to help me. Mm-hmm. And so we literally took grocery carts of food and water, whatever we could find and scrap together from our our limited supplies and started to take them out into the streets, started to open our doors. And in the moment of fear and confusion and trauma, the people, the network of people right there in that area 
people who had never come to our church before began to build and we began to comfort and feed and clothe each other and help each other. And so when a natural disaster happens, oftentimes the church is seen as a beacon of help. It's a place that there are supposed to be resources, but not always do those resources get to the people who need them. And I think we should talk a little bit about how the churches work through a natural disaster. Well, and I think that there's also the um, the false idea of who is in need. Um, and I think that that happens a lot in disasters. Um, I will say that when, when Florence hit, um, I, 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 I lived on a shoestring. Um, I was a student. Um, my family's living on one salary. We're, you know, we're living on a shoestring. Um, on the other hand, did I pick up my little self and drive to my mama's? Um, and, you know, just to have that resource to be able to leave town. I got trapped on the other side, so I couldn't get back home. So I was there for an extended stay. But it helps to understand, like, like who you are, um, that even though at that time I would have put myself in like, like I have nothing, like I, I, I'm just barely getting by, and yet I do have the resource of being able to pick up and leave. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people who are just getting by don't have that ability to just pick up and go, and so they're stuck here. They are here for the duration of whatever is going on, or or not necessarily even here, but anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have people who can't go. They have nothing else to do. There's no, um, there's no place that they could just run to. They don't have mamas to go to. They don't have whatever. And they can't just go to the bank and take out some extra cash. And, oh, you know, I'm having to tap into my savings or, you know, take some out of my IRA or whatever. Um, there's not this investment account that allows them to just do whatever they need to do. And, um, and sometimes it is that working poor, the people who are just scraping by, who are always, I mean, you may not even recognize who they are, um, that are in the biggest need. Because, uh, I mean, let's just face it. People who are used to doing this, mm-hmm. um, to not having anything, they are some damn resourceful people. Yes. And they they know how to make it work. But those people who are, are getting by, who are just on the cusp of being good, um, sometimes they don't quite have that the knowledge and the resourcefulness that when disaster hits, to even know like what to do. And I think that we forget how important it is to reach to those people. I do. I very much do. In fact, that's what we saw. I saw our houseless friends helping me serve people who had never been in this kind of place. Mm-hmm. Um, and what you see when this kind of thing happens, if you don't live in an area where you have hurricanes all the time, um, and what we're seeing like in Kentucky right now, is that immediately the nation sends in resources. You have Red Cross, you have Good Samaritan, or Samaritan's Purse, sorry. I 
they did that on which purpose. Is a hor- which is a horrible organization. And yes. let's just talk about that a little bit as you list these off here. Yes. Horrible, horrible okay. organization. So when some of these organizations, i.e. Samaritan's Purse, come in, now Red Cross fed us, did everything I asked. In fact, when I asked them to stop giving pork because a lot of our community's Muslim, they started cooking things that weren't pork. They listen, their ears are open. What do you need? How can we help? Samaritan's Purse, however, went into areas and were handing out tarps to people who could probably purchase their own tarp. And as people started to volunteer with some of these organizations, they were having to sign contracts, contracts that stated faith statements. They were passing out pamphlets about God. And I'm going to say and I'm a pastor, and Gail is a pastor, and we love sharing the word of God. Mm-hmm. But during a natural disaster is, again, the time to walk the walk and not talk the talk. I am in the middle of a community that has Muslims, Hindus, Jews, and Christians. Proselytizing is not my business in that point. Feeding and giving people water making sure they can take baths, making sure their children's clothes get washed, making sure they have diapers for their children and formula for their children. That is my focus. And I believe, and Gail may agree with me, but I believe that I have no business handing someone a pamphlet or inviting them to my church when they're traumatized. That is not the time. Now, if I'm out working and I'm trauma-trained missionary and minister, And if I'm out working, I don't care where I am. If I am in the Dominican or if I'm in my backyard. If someone comes up and asks me why I'm doing this, great. I'll talk about it. But some organizations use this as a way to proselytize and colonize and collect members. And I don't think, for me, that's the way God wants us to work. God wants us to be his hands and feet, not his mouth in those times. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Um, and and I, I mean, I, I'm just going to be blunt because you know this how I roll. Um, so, I, and I'm going to talk specifically about Samaritan's Purse. Yes. Um, so when I did make it back into town and looking at places where I could be used because um, even though... Uh, I'm very close to an island. Um, our island was really not hit that bad. And things were much better here. Um, it's a, a fairly affluent area in a lot of ways. Um, and so, you know, it's different end of the county, different different um, whatever. And so looking at where can I be used, what where can I volunteer, what can I be a part of, and um, looked at Samaritan's Purse. Which were doing some seemingly decent things around town. And, um, yeah, one of the things that you had to sign in order to volunteer. Let me say that again. You had to sign in order to volunteer was something that said that, A, you were not homosexual. Mm-hmm. And, B, you weren't okay with homosexuals. And that was a true WTF moment for me. <laughs> Um, because, well, we've said it, <clears throat> said it over and over and over again, and we'll say it again. Um, there may be things that you end up having to answer for in your life, uh, but being gay is never going to be one of them. Um, God is not 
not, N-O-T, not. Uh, one of those respecters of persons in that situation. Um, God loves us all in exactly the way that God created us, always and ever. And any organization, whatever work they are doing, that tries to tell you otherwise is full of crap. So let's look at the opposite side of that. Um, Nah. <laughs> we are, as Methodist, we have two distinct mission groups. We have Um Them, which is volunteers in mission. And then we have Um Core, which I am a trained Um Core person. And these are, um, this is our committee on relief. They are, we are the first ones in. We have badges that get us in with the Coast Guard if there's a trauma. We have been trained in several things. That training includes things simply like putting on tarps, um, take going in and cleaning out mold proper removal of people and helping people rebuild houses um everything from being the person who sits on the porch with grandma as her house is broken down and counseling with her to actually how to remove and respect and save everything we can but not once are we told how to minister or spread our church's growth in those moments we are told that our job is to serve them in their trauma and to be the hands and feet. And there are lots of other organizations out there. I think Red Cross does a fantastic job, especially representing multiple religions. As soon as we ask for um, Muslim leaders to come in within two days, they had a whole crew here. Um, they they sat down with the Jew, all the faith leaders in our area and asked what our needs were because they knew we were directly involved. But all of that happens a week, two weeks, they begin building those resources. But right now, in places like Kentucky, just like us, it's the people on the ground who need the immediate resources. And one of the things that really helped us is we were on social media. I was FaceTiming in my hurricane hair and on the news and calling friends and churches in our Methodist network all over. Um, and through our conference, our conference was connecting with the churches in our conference and the churches across the country. And immediately, food, water, cleaning supplies, we have these buckets we make, um, were showing up at our doorstep. And so when you first see something happen like this and you are going, I want to help, I want to help, you don't go unless you are properly trained. You don't just get in a car and show up because that causes more chaos. But the first thing I would say do is if you know people in that area or if you are connected through your faith organization, whether it is your um, church or temple or whatever, if you can find another organization similar to yours, reach out and say, hey, what are your immediate needs? I mean, it's wonderful to give to UMCOR. It's wonderful to give to Red Cross. But that's bureaucracy that takes time. And in those first few days, if you can connect with a temple or a, I mean, any kind of look or a, or a disaster relief group like a food pantry in the area and start feeding their immediate needs, that's much more helpful than sometimes going through the bureaucracy. And if you're going to donate, like we said, be careful. Read the fine line. Be careful who you donate to. I want to I um, say in that, that often 
um, we think of, and, and I'm going to use the, the example of um, this tornado that just happened. I mean, there's a particular town in Kentucky that seems to be headlining the news every day. Um, and I'm not, I'm going to say it wrong. It's Maysville or Maysfield. I'm, I'm not sure which one that is. Um, but, um, we hear about them all the time and there, there are people in Arkansas. There are people in Illinois. Mm-hmm. There are people in other states, in other smaller towns and smaller communities that may not have had the, the, uh, volume of devastation that this particular town did. And, and this is to take nothing away from, from that town. But let's face it, y'all. Everybody is talking about them. Every news channel, every everything is showing this horrible, horrific disaster that happened there. And there are plenty of other little communities, uh, little areas that are also in great need. And so when you're thinking about, like, what do you do immediately? Where's, where's the first place that you're going to go? Like, I want... I want my help to get there right now. So how do you do that? Well, maybe you think about some of these small communities, some of these smaller areas that aren't getting the big publicity, but have great need. And maybe you can make the connection there Mm -hmm. and send resources there as opposed to here's a larger area, here's an area of greater devastation, and they're being inundated. They have to be. Um, and so just thinking about, like, where's a place that, that I can really make a difference? And trying to find that space. And it, oftentimes, in a disaster, it seems overwhelming. It seems like, even, especially when you're watching it from a distance, like, there's no way to build back. There's nothing we can do. Mm-hmm. First of all, we can do all things through him who strengthens us. But we can't do it by ourselves. We each have different gifts and talents. And there are many organizations that you can do temp volunteering with that they will train you. Um, I had a lady that came from the Red Cross. And her whole job was to just work with kindergarten through second grade children. That's her whole focus. She was with the Red Cross. She trained to come in and help them deal with trauma. I thought that was a fantastic idea. Because that's a population because mom and dad are so freaked out. They are just kind of struggling. Um, There are maybe church or faith groups that are connected to where you're working that you can volunteer and learn and train. And you can give money. Um, You can give resources. Money's better because as we are seeing in Kentucky, everyone wants to clean out their closet and send all the clothes they don't use to Kentucky They did it to us. People were showing up with tubs of clothes that they couldn't use. And I was like, well, I need to feed people. I can't, I can turn these into diapers, I guess. I don't know what to do with this. But when we had the funding set up and we could literally go to the grocery store and buy tons of stuff to distribute, that is what we needed. But we're talking about specific groups that get overlooked with us, one of the specific groups were our immigrants and especially our legal immigrants. Let me tell you what happens to them in a disaster. Um, we as a church knew some neighborhoods. I mean, not as a church, I'm going to take that back. We as part of our community through some wonderful 
um, volunteers that work with um, our illegal immigrants here um, knew certain communities that were trailer communities. These are people who come in and work our farmland. Um, and they're actually the ones who are out there working immediately after the disaster. They're clearing the roadways and the debris. And so the men were leaving and working 12, 14-hour days, leaving people at home in trailers that had been flooded, villages of trailers that had been flooded, with no food, no clean water, nothing. And as soon as we started to go visit those places, white vans began following us. And they wouldn't come out of their homes. They couldn't go to the places where resources were available because men and white vans were there. And these were immigration. And we literally had to develop a whistling sound to let them know when it was safe to walk out of their doors to get food. And even though they were starving, they were so scared. So our structures that we built around things like our immigrants who live here, um, like certain communities, and this goes through many of our impoverished communities, I'm going to tell you, it is like a feeding ground for those who are trying to tra be trapped. It is like immigration came in, um, different groups came in, and as people were showing up for resources, People were being pulled for warrants. People were being pulled for green papers. People were being pulled for everything. And it broke my heart. And so now when I see places like Kentucky and Arkansas and places with all of this farmland, I'm picturing those men out working and those children and moms at home. And I know the same thing's happening. I know it is of fear beyond fear that'll keep you with a hungry belly. And it was an addition to the trauma and devastation. And it's why I believe, again, politically, we need to think beyond the silliness of our immigration laws and of all these rules. And when it comes to a disaster, when it comes to trauma, we need to drop it. And we need to focus on feeding and, and giving people clean water. We need to focus on basic needs because that is, for me, the Christian thing to do. So how do you do that in Kentucky? Oh, good question. <laughs> in fact, that might be something that we reach out to some of our local advocates and like Vanessa and Amanda, some of our local advocates, and we will put some stuff in the comments. But one thing you can do, there are organizations that work with refugees and immigration, specifically people who fight for them. Immigration attorneys. If you know immigration attorneys, that's a way to find resources. If you know churches that house and have programs catholic charities and we're not catholic but catholic charities is really good about providing services for people and not checking documentation so there are organizations through churches through immigration reform groups that can help you connect with those in need we were able to through our immigration services and through some of our local immigration attorneys we were actually able to use resources that came in and feed people for about six weeks, um, which was phenomenal. I, I, I was overwhelmed by that, but it means reaching out to those bleeding liberal crazy groups that are fighting for these people to find ways to connect in a time of need. So I would say that would be your first avenue. 
And if you're living in Arkansas, Kentucky, some of these places, and you do have means, connect with your community and find out where they are and what they need. But maybe it's not making the problem in the first place, too. Maybe it's us being proactive. It's a crazy word. Politically and as a church and as a community being proactive so that that doesn't happen. I think the proactive in in all of this is really key. So, um, you know, think about your community, wherever your community is. Like, are you connected to people who who are in the know? Are you connected to... um, to things, uh, you know, again, we're Methodist, and so are you connected to UMCOR? Um, are you connected to, um, to volunteer organizations that, um, that step into these type of disasters? Um, and especially if you live in an area that is prone to disasters, and, and y'all, there are, there are places that are more prone than others. Not that any of us are immune, um, but some areas are, are more prone to flooding, they're more prone to um, tornadoes, they're more prone to hurricanes, earthquakes, whatever. All of these disasters. Um, volcanoes, and that's also a, a disaster <laughs> yes. that could happen. Um, you know, probably not right here, but <laughs> you never know. Um, but I mean, there are all kinds of disasters that can take place. And um, so are you connected with organizations? Are you connected with people? Um, do you know where you could donate? Maybe you're already donating. So, um, so let's talk about that bureaucracy that it takes for that that trickle out. Um, and you know, so if you're already giving, because I mean, Red Cross is a, is a big name that we know, mm-hmm. right? But they get inundated when there's a disaster and they start saying, hey, we really need resources mm-hmm. because we have this big disaster and people give to this big thing that's going on and then it takes time for it to siphon through. Um, but if they already have their coffers, um, it doesn't take as long for it to siphon through. And so, you know, are you already thinking about that? Are you already um, going to and providing to these places already so that there's already the resources available? So I think that there's a lot of things that can be done proactively mm-hmm. in that way um, with you know, whether or not you want to get trained to be able to do stuff, whether or not you, um, you just want to be a part of giving resources, um, and in that I mean money, um, to be able to have these organizations be ready. Um, and that's a big part of that. I'm going to shout out where my money right now is going for Kentucky. As a trauma missionary, having done this work, being trained, there are two organizations that show up on day one and do not leave after Red Cross and everyone pulls out. Two organizations that I witnessed being hands and feet on the ground, no questions asked, and that was UMCOR and Baptist Men. Baptist Men literally show up and set up a kitchen and served thousands of meals every day. And the funding that came through went directly. All they do is focus on food. Um, And they have been doing this for so long that they have trucks, they have trained people equipped, ready to go. And they have rotation cycles of trained people. So people come and stay six or eight days. They leave and the new crew comes in and the crew already knows what to do. 
I was blown away. We would show up and they would give us these massive coolers with 50, 60 meals each. We'd take them out, we'd bring them back, they'd fill them again. So Baptist Men is a great organization. Umcor is focused on things like tarping and like creating safe living spaces immediately. So Umcor rolls in and they have trailers with tools. They have the chemicals to get rid of mold. They have the tarps that are free and that are the proper tarps and the people who can put them on properly. So being a church person, those are the two organizations that I generally, when something like this happens, I am pouring my money there because I know it goes directly to relief. There's not a trickle down economics that happens there. All of the money you give to those two organizations go directly. No one's paid. It's all volunteer. So it goes directly to the stuff that they need to fix things. And Baptist men, after the time of them feeding people is done, they come in with UMCOR because we have a great relationship and they start rebuilding. And I am not talking about barring up broken windows. I am talking about roofing, painting, sheetrocking, structure building. Um, we work together and in unison to, to signal out houses and people, especially those ones you were talking about, the working poor, and rebuild and we are still doing that from Hurricane Florence, and it's been years, but we still have houses that we are focusing on and repairing. So if I was going to pick two church organizations, those are the two I would pick because they also don't require you to sign anything to help with them or to get anything from them. And I promise they're not going to hand you a pamphlet telling you you need to pray before you get something. So guys, I think we've come to the end of our time. Whoa. I know, we've, we've gone quick. So, um, parting words. Do you have anything you want to add into this? Just remember, it's time to walk the walk and not talk the talk. Yeah, it's an important thing. And we'll leave some links for you to connect. Absolutely, we'll put links in, in the show notes and uh, and let you know how, we can, how you can connect with these varying organizations, um, how you can be a part of... Um, of disaster relief, um, whether that is in our current situation um, or in future situations. Um, so be prepared, y'all. It's like the, the Boy Scouts say. Yeah. And be, the Girl Scouts. Be prepared. Stay safe. <laughs> See you later. <laughs>